good to be back. When I was your age, you may not know this, but I had to pay per text message to send a text message. I, I know you guys can't even fathom a world like that, but I had to pay for each text message I sent. Um, in fact, the model was kind of unique. The, the, the way that it worked is like you, you would pay, it, was, it sounds cheap, but back when I was in high school, it was a lot of money, but you had to pay $3 for 500 text messages. I know, I know. You don't pay anything for that. You have unlimited. You can send as many, and some of you guys send 500 like today. Back then though, I had to be like, all right, is this worth sending a text message about? And in fact, our phones were very different than the ones you guys have today. This is an actual phone that I had. It was a, it was a flip phone, but it was a phone that folded. It was really cool actually, because it turned into a full keyboard. And that massive screen that you saw there, I could put someone's photo on there, upwards of one megabyte. I could, I could type really fast. I mean, times have changed in such a great way. But tech is one of those things where it's been around for a while. It's been like 25 years now, but it was so different when I was in, in, in high school. So different. In fact, here's another thing. We actually would talk on the phone for hours, like with people over the phone. Like not a game though. It was that like, there was an actual phone uh, that you would, like I, a phone that I would, would connect to the wall and then I would talk to people in my room like for hours on end. Times change, times change. But one of the things that doesn't change, one of the worst experiences in the world that involves your phone is being left on red. Hey, you want to go out sometime? She opened it, but she didn't reply. I wonder what to do with that. Okay, tip guys, don't do that. <laughs> Ask in person. It's a lot more awkward and a lot more validating if she says yes. And then she'll be pressured to say yes too. But leaving left on red is not fun. It's not fun. Um, it's a devastating experience. But there's only a few times where leaving someone on red is appropriate. If it's stranger danger, or if it's like a bully, uh, or if it's something that is the kind of foolishness that you're about to learn about tonight. See, foolishness is coming for you. Uh, folly is coming for you. And here's the thing. You don't have to be looking for it. It's coming for you because that's how the world works. And what you're about to learn, according to Proverbs, is that folly or foolishness is a type of foe that is really sly, seductive, loud, and all of the above. And here's the thing. There's a lot of ways where foolishness and folly is visible today if you have your eyes open. So this is a very timely sermon for you to listen to. And here's the thing. Wisdom Learning to be wise is learning to listen to wise voices and to drown out the rest. And there's a lot of voices out there that are gunning for you. There's a lot of voices out there that want you to follow them and listen to them and learn from them. And they are the voice of foolishness and folly. Young person, the world around you is not your friend. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, John says, uh, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. There is an enemy out there called the world, and I'm not talking just about people necessarily. I'm talking about the world system, the ideology, the way of thinking and living that is contrary to God that is coming for your soul. And, and I don't, I'm not speaking hyperbolically when I say that to learn this, to learn wisdom from Scripture is truly a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death. It's a matter of the voices that you're listening to, the people in your life or the sources of information in your life that feed into your soul and go down deep inside. And what you do with that information will determine whether or not you move forward as a Christian 
or whether or not you continue down the path of foolishness and folly, which is ultimately painful, it's ultimately destructive, and it is ultimately the kind of life that will steal from you and not give. Here's what I know about you. You want to be happy. You want to live a life that is satisfying. You want to live the life that you were meant to live. You want to be the you that you really feel like is the me inside. And here's the way that this works out. The world says, here's how to find that life. You want freedom? You want fulfillment and satisfaction? Let me tell you how to find that young person. You can find that by following your heart and going wherever your desires lead you. In fact, follow me and I'll show you how to get there. It's a piece of cake. But the Bible would say that is the absolute worst thing you could do. There are some voices and some messages to leave on red. Don't leave mine on red, please. But leave foolishness and folly on red. That's my point tonight. Drown out the other voices, listen to wisdom, leave foolishness on red. It's coming for you, but whether or not you listen to it, read it, ingest it, and live according to that is fully up to you. Leave foolishness on red. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 9 and understand how Scripture commands us to think about this, to look at this. And here's how it's going to work out for you. You're going to realize that as we work our way through this passage, that wisdom calls for you, but so does folly. Again, how you respond to this will determine whether or not you live a life that is pleasing, happy, fulfilled, or whether you live a life that is painful, destructive, and ultimately damning in the technical sense of the word. I'm not cussing up here, you understand. Soul condemning. Proverbs chapter 9, starting at verse 7. We're actually going to start into a transition. Proverbs chapter 9 is a, is, a, is a whole. It's a whole psalm. It works together. And, and Proverbs chapter 10 onward, you're going to see a lot of different like uh, one-liners, one-line, uh, one-line proverbs. But chapter 9 is kind of a whole story. You see, on the one hand, you see wisdom saying, hey, follow me. Come to me, all who are simple. I've got bread. I've got wine. Come to me and live. But on the other side, you have folly calling you and saying, no, 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 no. Don't listen to her. Listen to me. I've got your back. I know what's really good for you. Come and do what I'm doing. This is how to do it. But before we get there, we have this little interesting section between the two of them that identifies what it looks like to be the fool or to be the wise woman or wise man. Here's how it starts. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with the Proverbs, you have to understand that these work as kind of like halvesy phrases here. So take a look here. If you look at my screen, you'll notice as I'm annotating verse 7, 7a would include this whole section right here, okay, this whole first section. 7b would be this and this right below it. So all this together essentially is kind of like a, a song. It's a balance. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. To say it differently, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. And so you'll notice that the word scoffer and wicked man kind of fit together. They're two balancing sides of the whole. A scoffer is someone who mocks or someone who, who scoffs, scoffs at the truth that someone's trying to give to you. And he says, not only are these two people equivalent, the scoffer and the wicked man, but if you try to correct someone who is a scoffer or a wicked man, you're going to get abuse. You're going to get injury because they're not the kind of person who wants to hear from you. Look at verse 8 here. Verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer. Same word for correct. Don't correct or reprove a scoffer or, get this, he will hate you. He's not only going to attack you, he's going to hate you in his heart. Why? Well, because you had the audacity to challenge me and think that I was ever wrong. How dare you? 
reprove a wise man and he will, get this, love you. There's the contrast. Two parts of the whole. One hates you, one loves you. The scoffer, if you try to correct him, he's going to hate you for that. But a wise man, you try to correct him, he's going to say, thank you. Thank you. I love you so much for telling me the truth. This is exactly what I needed. Look at verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Why? Because he's receiving the correction. He's receiving the rebuke. And consequently, because he's willing to receive that, he now has more wisdom and not less. Teach a righteous man. A wise man and righteous man go together here in case you missed that. They they fit together. Wise man, righteous man. And get this, he will increase in learning. He's wiser, he's smarter, he is better off because he received the rebuke. He received the correction. Here, I want to help you see something first and foremost. As we begin to talk about a them, they, those people, I want to point to you first and foremost. And I want you to challenge yourself with this first point because what's easy to do is to think about your friends or your cousins or even your siblings and say, look how foolish they are. But I want to turn this first proverb around. And even though we're talking to the person who says, hey, don't correct a scoffer, don't don't reprove a scoffer because they're going to hate you, they're not going to like you. I want to turn it around and say, well, let's think about what um, what the wise person should do with this. And let me put it this way. Point number one, I want you to pay attention to your own reaction. Pay attention to your own reaction to what? To correction. Pay attention to yourself. And so we're going to look at those same three verses, and I'm going to apply the mirror to you and say, young person, when someone corrects you, how do you do? Are you the scoffer, the mocker, or are you the wise and the righteous? Again, what's at stake, in case you forgot, is pain, destruction, devastation, emptiness, and ultimately, damnation, because foolishness is the way to soul-condemning sin. But righteousness, wisdom, this is the path that God wants you to walk. What makes the difference between these two people? What leads a scoffer to scoff, and what leads a righteous person or a wise person to humbly receive correction? And I think it's easy to see. I kind of already alluded to it. Young person, your pride is going to be one of your biggest foes for the rest of your life. Pride. Pride is the biggest difference between these two young people. The foolish person is so arrogant, so proud, that he is unable to hear the correction of an older, wiser, godly person. The righteous and wise young man hears the correction, knows that it's painful, and yet says, thank you, I needed that. Kind of reminds me of a TV show I've been watching lately called The Titan Games. You guys heard of this one? Titan Games. Um, it's hosted by my doppelganger. <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> We're the same size, the same height. Um, anyway, the Titan Games is actually really interesting. I, I, don't, I just started watching it, so if there's anything bad on there, I haven't seen it a whole lot, so just, just know, qualifier, qualifier. But one of the things that I love seeing because it's so good to be, it's so good as an illustration is when the, like one of the people will be like, I'm the greatest, I'm amazing, I'm awesome, you're never going to beat me in this game. And these competitors go head to head, right? And so the guy is like, man, I'm so good, I'm like amazing good, I'm the greatest to ever walk this stage, that kind of thing. And then in my heart, I'm thinking, man, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And what's so satisfying is that those same people end up losing, And I think, there it is. There's scripture lived out. It is the pride of the person that blinds them to what is so obvious to the rest of us watching and saying, look, dude, you're strong and you're and all of that, but sure, you're not the greatest. 
And you don't even know how good you're going to do against your competitor. Here's the thing though. What's so easy for us to see in other people, I wonder how easy it is for other people to see it in you. I wonder how easy it is for your mom and dad to see pride and an unwilling spirit in you. See, it's easy for me to see, man, you're being proud. You're being proud. You especially are being proud. You're being proud. And you guys can point to me and say, well, Pastor Rob, what you just said, that was super arrogant of you. Uh, It's so easy for us to see it in others. But what I need you to understand, young person, is you need to be paying attention to your own reaction to correction. Because more often than not, we are so filled with pride that we can't even see our pride. We're too proud to think that there's even pride in us. I don't got any pride. What are you talking about? I'm the most humble person you ever met. But, okay, never mind, I'll drop that. <laughs> the most humble person I've ever met. My doppelganger and I would love for you to think about your own reaction as you think about uh, wisdom and, and your reaction to correction. So here's a couple questions to ask you. They're diagnostic. I want you to write these down, and I want you, maybe not tonight, but as you get home tomorrow dur- during small groups, I want you to ask yourself some questions based upon the text that we just read. The first question is this. Are you quick to justify yourself? When mom and dad have to come down on you or, or your brother or your, your leader, your small group leader, they have to come down on you for something, are you quick to justify yourself? But wait, it was because of, I, I, I need you to understand, it was because that I wanted to do that, I had to do that, or... Here's how scripture talks about this. Verse seven, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Are you abusive and injurious to the people who are correcting you? When mom and dad have to correct you, do you get angry and, and, and abuse them with your response? Do you get injurious in the way that you talk back to them because you didn't like the way that they talked to you about that? Are you quick to justify yourself? Here's the thing. We're really good at providing reasons for the things that we do, whether it's circumstances or whether we blame other people or whether we're comparing ourselves to others. We're so good at this, but I need you to know what scripture calls you to is James chapter one, 19 and 20. James chapter one, 19 and 20 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Young person, here's what one of the wisest things you could be doing right now. Let me repeat it for you. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick, fast to hear. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Are you quick to justify yourselves? One of the things that all of us can agree that we don't like is having people tell us what's wrong with us. We might know inside that we're not perfect and we need correction, but we never like receiving it. But what I need you to understand is that what Scripture is calling you to here is that if your reaction in any way is justifying yourself, you're doing it wrong. Even if the person is potentially wrong. Let's say you're accused by mom and dad for something that you didn't do. It was truly your younger brother or your older sister. They did it. It wasn't you. And they're coming down on you for that. Wisdom is keeping your mouth shut until mom and dad have had a chance to let themselves talk to you. And then at the end of that, you can reply. And a quick to speak, or a quick to, not quick to speak, a quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry kind of, kind of way. Here's another question for you. Are you given to bitterness and anger when you are corrected? Do you allow yourself to hold bitterness and anger toward the object of correction, the one who corrected you? This could be your teacher. This could be your parents. This could be any authority figure. Are you given to bitterness and anger? Verse 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. 
If you're angry, if you're bitter, it's because you are the scoffer. You are the fool, according to scripture. You're allowing yourself to get angry and upset because someone is trying to help you, even if you don't like the way that they're helping. Are you given to bitterness and anger? Don't allow yourself to, to, to be immature. Don't allow yourself to let other people who are trying to love you stop, stop doing that because you're throwing a fit about it. One of the, another thing that we're guilty of as people is that we so allow ourselves to dwell on things. When people wrong us, and let's suppose that your parents didn't do it the way that you'd want them to do it. Maybe instead of being gracious and reasonable, they were hostile, angry, and they were abusive in the way that they corrected you. Maybe you didn't like it. Are you then, according to scripture, are you then able to keep that? No, I'm going to be bitter and upset about this. No. No, your job is to be gracious and humble and listening. This is the posture of the wise, mature, young person. And here's a last question here. Do you welcome the input of wiser people even when it hurts? Do you welcome the input of wiser people even when it hurts? You see, what wisdom is trying to help you understand here and she's often personified as a female, what she's trying to help you understand is that to listen and to welcome someone correcting you is essentially to love yourself. This is the, this is the real way to love yourself according to scripture is to have someone tell you what's wrong. Where do I need to grow? How do I need to be challenged? In fact, here's how they say it. Here's how she says it here. Give instruction to a wise man or a wise young woman and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Why? Because that reception says, I know I have so much to learn. Therefore, please help me. I welcome your input. I want your input. In fact, on this young person, here's the thing I would challenge you with. And, and it, only the bravest of you will do this. But I would love for you to even just think about potentially talking to your mom and dad and saying, mom, dad, where am I not doing a good job? Where can I be a better Christian? That's a bold thing to ask. And of course, I'm assuming that maybe your parents aren't every day telling you, like, here's how you can be a better Christian, little Roy. If you would just take out the trash more frequently, you'd be a great Christian. Whatever it is, I always love for you to think about, maybe it's time to ask someone, or if not your mom and dad, someone who knows you that is willing to tell you the truth. Proverbs chapter 27, verses five and six, talk about the kind of person who, who a true friend will essentially stab you in the face. <laughs> not with a real knife, you understand. Please don't do that. A real friend will tell you the hard truth to your face. That's a real friend. And scripture says that the wise person, the wise person wants that kind of input. The wise person welcomes wise, a, a wise correction. Do you want that? How do you do with that? And remember, this whole point is about you observing your own response to correction. How are you doing with that? Because whether you respond to it with arrogance I already know this, I don't need this, or humility, God help me to be responsive, is going to determine whether or not you do well in life. Wisdom starts off with this, listening, paying attention to your, your own response, and realizing that your response is part and parcel with how God loves us. Look at this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves, and don't miss this. This is important here. The Lord reproves, the Lord disciplines him whom he loves. Let that settle in you for a second. 
The Lord reproves, disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. When you hear the voice of correction or reproof, it's essentially the voice of God in your life. And in this time of your life, young person, I know it's not fun. You hear it a lot. You're having your teachers tell you when you're wrong. They mark up your paper with red ink. You're having your parents tell you when you're wrong. They give you, you know, I told you this already. Have you not heard this yet? You have your pastor in many, in many cases telling you when you're wrong, hoping to let the spirit bring conviction of sin to your life. And yet what you need to hear from this is that re- reproof and correction is an act of love. It would be like seeing my three-year-old daughter running to the street, the busy intersection and saying, be careful, sweetheart. Instead of running to her, tackling her and maybe rolling a few times before she gets to the busy intersection and says, what are you doing? Don't do that. That's dangerous. That might hurt more than me saying, be careful, sweetheart, right? That's going to be really easy on the conscience and not going to cause her any trouble at all. But if I care about my three-year-old daughter, I'm going to tackle her. And I might break her bones in the, I might do more damage in that case. I might break her bone, but that's okay. That's worth it. Because at least I, I might break her bone, but I'll save her life. The Lord breaks her bones. And he does it through the means of teachers, of pastors, of leaders. And that's the whole point. He does it because he loves his people. Let that stick in your head. And now as we move on to what wisdom is, this is something that should be familiar to you. Again, this is wisdom calling out to you. This is familiar territory, but it's so worthwhile. We're going to look at this again. Take a look at verses 10 through 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Stop me if you've heard this before. Remember, Proverbs chapter one as the first time we preach in the series. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, wisdom, your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life and years will be added to your life. And if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, if you mock, you will alone bear it. Essentially, what you have here is wisdom saying, look at the benefits, look at the fruit of this kind of life. And this life begins with the idea, builds off the foundation, we talked about this already, builds on the foundation of God saying, build your life on the fear of the Lord. And from that place, then you will build a life that is worth living. It'll be a good life. You'll, you'll live longer, you'll live better. It'll be an overall better life for you. But it begins with a healthy, robust fear of the Lord. How do you do that? Let me, I'm going to use the common vernacular and I know it's not perfect, but it works for me. Point number two, I want you to put, oops, try that again, Rod. Hold on. Give me one second. There we go. Put the Lord on your priority notifications list. There's features in all of our phones, unless you have one on the phones that I just referenced. The old one, they don't have this, but the new ones have this. You can put people, uh, you can uh, put people on your uh, priority notifications list. So uh, I have it so that even if I'm on do not disturb, my phone will ring and will, will chime when Kristen texts me. So that if there's ever a situation, I'll always get her text, no matter what. Uh, and if, even if you have an Android phone, I'm surprised to say this, but even those have this. Even an Android phone can do this, guys. Override, do not disturb. You can set it up to do that. But again, my wife, who is celebrating her birthday today, is on my, thank you, happy birthday, they said, uh, is on emergency bypass on so that no matter what, I'm going to get her message. I wish you would treat the Holy Spirit like this. Like no matter what's going on in my day, when the Spirit of God is prompting me or causing me to think about scripture or causing me to pray or causing me to remember somebody or just causing me to say, I want to read my Bible right now. I wish you would say, bypass everything else. I'm going to it right now. 
Instead of saying, you know what, I, I'll get to that later. I should read, I should pray, I should pray for that person, but I'll get to that later. That's the kind of relationship with the Lord that you ought to pursue. That emergency bypass where the, the fear of the Lord is pervasive in your day. No matter what's happening, you have an ear to the Lord to know, Lord, if you're calling me, I want to go to prayer. I want to go to my Bible. If you're calling me, Lord, I feel like I got to memorize that verse. I'm going to memorize that. In fact, one of my memorization strategies that has been so helpful for me throughout the years is I barely memorize a verse that I should memorize. I memorize verses that jump off the page to me. Like, oh, that's a good verse. That's a good passage. I need that passage. And when I come to scripture that way, man, that's so much easier to memorize because I'm like, I need this. As opposed to like, I should memorize this passage. I should know this. Those are helpful. Occasionally I'll do that. But here's the thing. I'm letting the spirit of God guide me to say, this is what you need, Rod. And this is how you should live. There are times this week where I've felt something or someone rather pushing me to pray for a certain person or to think about a certain person. And I take that always to be okay. This is the spirit of God asking me to pray for that person. And so you know what I do? I pray. It may only be a few, a few seconds in my head, in my heart. You're not going to see my lips moving. But in those moments, I feel like, okay, I'm being responsive to what I think is the spirit of God prompting me to pray. I'm pretty sure a demon's not going to do that. Put the Lord on your priority notifications list. You do that really by filling your day with the fear of the Lord. We're going to revisit this concept because it is so important. Filling your day with the fear of the Lord. I really wish that you would make your entire life, especially young person, now that most of you guys are going to be uh, doing school at home this semester. Sorry to remind you about that if you don't like to keep those bad thoughts in your head. But a lot of you guys are not going to be going to school this semester. You're going to be homeschooled again or have some kind of hybrid model at some point. Or who knows? Maybe Governor Newsom will shut all the schools down and again, you'll be homeschooled for the rest of the school year. And we'll have another year where we're going to miss graduations and proms and winter formals and whatever else that was sports. If God does that, if God does that to you, here's how I need you to think about that. Okay, God, you're baking a ton more time in my schedule so that I might better fear you, know you, and love you. In fact, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 is for you. Listen to this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the mind, the heart of a person who says, you know what? I know that I don't know enough, even though I'm taking AP Calc or whatever it is I'm doing, you don't know enough. You see, it's not about intellectual knowledge as much as it is about knowing the Lord, to fear him and to say, I'm doing calculus to the glory and honor of God. I'm doing all of my life to the glory and honor of God. I'm doing everything for his name, his honor, his, his prestige. Fill the day with, your, with the fear of the Lord. Young person, think about for a second your own devotional schedule. I saw a statistic just the other day, uh, discern.com, I think. They talked about the fact that only a Barna, George Barna, had another survey that says 9% of Americans, uh, only 9% of Americans read their Bible daily. There's what, 330 million Americans, 330 million, give or take. There's 40 million in California. What's 9% of that? I mean, that's, we're talking like, a few people here. And that's the keystone foundational habit that all of us should have. How are you doing with that? And if you're one of those rock stars and you're like, I read the Bible every day. What else you got for me, pastor? Is your, is your devotional life at the point where you would say, you know what? I'm living my life in the fear of the Lord. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. 
Some of you, I fear, are the kind of people that go through the motions and feel like, man, I did a good job. I said the right thing. I said amen when I was supposed to say amen. I checked off the box on the Bible app. I crossed it off on my bookmark. That's not fearing the Lord. That's deluding yourself. The Lord ain't pleased by that. The Lord is not, the Lord is not tricked by our formality. The Lord wants all of us. To fear the Lord means with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we give the Lord our everything. Young person, are you there? If not, you are walking the path of foolishness. This is especially passionate for me because there's a particular organization and a movement that's happening right now that I think a lot of you guys are being sucked into. Now, I could spend hours on this subject because I've studied this a lot. I've been spending a lot of time thinking, a lot, uh, thinking about critical race theory, thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement, thinking about the idea of systemic racism and injustice. And boy, do I have some things to say about it. But instead of me telling you what I believe and why I believe it, which I will get to at some point in time, I'm sure about that, I would really love to. You guys are seeing orange, aren't you? I, I know why that is. I'm just going to go over here and do some things to this. <laughs> this is my computer. Hold on, hold on here. Let me turn off my... I, it's, it's a feature here that allows it to turn colors. Better? Better? There we go. Okay, I was at a really serious point. <laughs> Black Lives Matter, racism, everything else. I want you to, st so whatever you believe about this, whatever you believe about Black Lives Matter, and whether or not you've marched with the protests, or whether or not you believe that there is such a thing as systemic racial injustice, and whether or not you believe because you're white that I'm better than you now, because you suffer from white privilege, and therefore I can see things better than you can, whatever you believe about that, I want to go even deeper than that. I want to start from a place of how do you know, how do you know that that's telling you the truth? How do you know what you know? How do you know if Black Lives Matter is a movement worth following? How do you know if you are a racist? Seriously, I mean that as a serious question. How do you know if you're a racist? Because here's the thing, just as the song we sang, it was so fascinating because the song we just sang, uh, your word, it defines justice. And I thought, bingo. His word defines justice. And yet we're throwing that word around a lot these days, especially on the major news sites. We're throwing that word justice around, and I'm wondering, I wonder if their definition of justice is the same as God's. I don't think so. It's like Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I need you, young person, to be critical. You see, long gone is a time for you to be blasé about learning to know the Word of God because today the fight is on. Today the fight is on to remove the nuclear family and to foster a queer-affirming network of people. The fight is on. And I'm not saying that we are against them. Christians don't fight people. We love people. But what I am saying is that we do fight up here. Whether or not you know the Word of God is going to allow you or disallow you to truly understand how you're supposed to live in the world that you inhabit. I mean, it's as simple as saying, what do you mean by that word? When you say justice, what do you mean by justice? When you say racism, what do you mean by racism? Because the words that we're using and all sharing together don't all mean the same things. You have to say, okay, what does God teach me about this? 
How does God want me to think about systemic injustice? How does God want me to think about, uh, about diseases like COVID-19, which have basically undermined everything that we've meant to live for? We've been at a church for months, it felt like, and now we're meeting, but we're meeting outside. And this is a, such an odd time. You need to have the wisdom of God to think through these things. You can't sit on your laurels and hope that it all kind of works itself out. Young person, I am so excited that all of you guys are passionate about justice, about you know, uh, lifting up the lower person, about equality. And even those words, those buzzwords, we use them, but do you know what they mean? Biblically, not, not, not secularly, not from a definition on your textbook. What does God mean by equity? The question I would ask you is even this, is God fair? Is God fair? I didn't ask, is God just? Is God fair? You have a chance to think about it? I'm going to say no, he's not fair. You know why? Because even though I joke about being the rock, he's taller, he's got bigger muscles than I am. I do. That's not fair. I want that. <laughs> but God made us different. I mean, look around. You guys are all different heights, weights, sizes. You're, you're all different levels of handsome and beautiful. And that's just God doing what God does. God is not fair, but God is just. Do you see the difference? You see, that takes a level of thinking and skillful precision with your, with your scripture that you, you're not going to just get by simply thinking for a few minutes. You have to be critically minded. Wisdom must guide you in this. So you got to fill your day with the fear of the Lord. This is what's going to get you there. Not only that, you also have to enhance your life with the fear of the Lord. This is what it's going to be. Uh, essentially, when you fear the Lord, you add life to your years and years to your life. God says, I'm going to extend your life. It'll be a better thing for you if you simply submit to fearing me. In fact, Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. This is an amazing promise. God promises if you submit to his wisdom, if you submit to fearing him and living under his leadership, life is better for you. Is this an ironclad promise that you'll never suffer a miscarriage? That you'll never get cancer? That your parents won't tragically die in a car accident? Or that you won't go down in a horrific airplane accident? No. Doesn't mean that. What it does mean, though, is that for those who know, love, and fear the Lord, none of those things can ever shake the fact that you are loved by Him and He will protect you ultimately. Maybe not temporally in this life. He may allow you to die in a horrific sense, but your soul will be kept forever. Avoid unnecessary pain with the fear of the Lord. I've kind of already touched on this, but just to close, close the loop here, I grew up with a friend, one of my best friends, throughout kind of middle school and high school. He, he and I lost contact after, after a period of time, but I, I saw him the other day on Facebook. He's in prison now, <laughs> but he still has a Facebook and a smartphone in prison. And I thought, what an interesting contrast, because he and I were so close, and our lives diverged at some point in time. And here I am, I'm preaching, I'm a pastor, and there he is, one of my good old friends in prison a lot more tattoos than I remember him with. I'm sure that our lives are different, not only in the experience of them, but in the pain. I've gone through pain too, but my pain is different. It's a kind of joy that comes with the pain because I know what I'm living for. I know who I'm living for. His pain is experiencing prison life. Loving and fearing God will help you avoid unnecessary pain. More importantly, the most important pain to avoid is the pain of eternal conscious torment by a God who pours out his righteous wrath upon you. 
God has done what no one else could do. He has provided you an opportunity to escape his righteous indignation by surrendering yourself to Jesus, trusting in him, turning from your sin, and letting Jesus be Lord of your life. And when you do that, God promises to overlook your sin and to put all of your uh, deserved wrath upon him. It'd be crazy. It'd be crazy to live a good life and not to be an actually good person according to Christ's standards. Let me wrap it up here, guys. I've gone far too long, but let's wrap this up. Last several verses. Introduction to folly, the woman of foolishness. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Point number three, one of the reasons you should avoid foolishness is because it's idiotic. It's dumb. She's seductive. She's loud. She's boisterous. She's calling you. But ultimately, her path leads to death. You have this idea here, and I, I think I'm reading this right here in, in, in Proverbs chapter 9. I think what you're seeing here is the righteous woman at the beginning of 9. She's the, the woman of wisdom. The second part of chapter 9 is the, the harlot the prostitute, foolishness. She calls out. She's wayward. She's riotous. She's saying, hey, come to me. Come to me. This is a good thing to do. All the while knowing that her path leads to death. Foolishness is idiotic. It is the ultimate dumb. Speaking of dumb, I thought about the Astros recently they had this scheme where, depending on the pitch, there was a camera pointed at the, the mound. Uh, I'm the biggest sports fan, by the way. You guys should know that. Uh, the camera was pointed at the mound, and when they saw the, the guy sitting down with the glove, I don't want to get technical. I'm the biggest sports fan, you know. But the guy sitting down with the glove, he would throw the sign, and they would record that and send it to the picture. How'd they do it? By banging on a trash can. Not the pitcher, the batter. The batter. They would bang on the trash can to let them know don't swing or there was a sinker coming or there was, some kind of, there, there was something not to swing at. So they would bang on the, on the trash can. How'd they get caught? Well, because they did that for over 58 games. They did that over and over. I mean, one time, fine. You get away with it one time. You're going to cheat, cheat smart. But these guys did the dumbest thing in the world. In fact, one of the guys who wrote on the story says, he says, the Astros took it way too far. He said, when you think about it, it's pretty stupid. Like if you get away with it once, fine. But they did that over and over again. And now the whole, that, the whole franchise is looking like they're in trouble because no one likes that team anymore. They're the villains of baseball. Baseball, the all-American sport, as, as American as apple pie. And the Astros have left a black eye on that. When you cheat in front of a national audience, someone is bound to find out, right? Here's the thing, though. I don't think we're too different from the Astros. Because a lot of us know that sin is stupid, but we do it anyway. <laughs> so let me give you a quick profile of what folly or foolishness looks like based upon what we just read. And I want you to be at the Astros. In fact, don't waste your time with baseball. Just kidding, just kidding. 
Just kidding. Or cats. Not kidding. All right, let me just make a couple observations here and then we're gonna call it down here. Uh, Folly is, first of all, loud. She works hard to get your attention. She is loud. She's standing at the highest parts of the town. She's trying to get your attention. There's Folly all around you. The woman Folly is not gonna wait for you to say, hey, I wonder if I should just go to this website and see if Folly's there. No, she's coming after you. Folly is there. She's coming after you. You gotta be aware of that. Folly feels dumb and irresistible. And the second part of verse 13, it says that she is seductive and knows nothing. She is simple and yet she is seductive. There's a certain, uh, uh, there's a certain attractiveness to sin, guys. Let's just be honest about that. Sin is in some ways attractive and it is the Christian's job for the rest of your life to grow increasingly more distasteful of your own sin. But the woman folly, the foolish woman, she calls to you. She beckons you. Hey, do this sinful thing. Compromise in this way. Read your Bible, but don't really think about it. Go to church, but don't really listen. I mean, don't, don't think about the person who's bank robbing and stealing cars. Think about your life, young person. Listen to your parents, but don't do it joyfully. Give your leader the right answer, but don't really mean it. Have an honest conversation, but don't tell them what's really going on in your life. It's those small compromises that folly is behind. It's seductive to do that. It's, a, it's attractive, but it's foolishness. Folly advertises her foolish goals. Hey, if you're simple, come join me. If, you're a, if you lack sense, if you're a dummy, come join me. Let's have some dumb fun. And I thought, who does that today? No one really does that. No, that, wait a minute. No, a lot of people do this. Let's get crunk. What is that from? <laughs> Let's get crazy drunk, right? Let's get crazy drunk. Oh, that's, that sounds great. Let's, yeah, let's, let's go puke our brains out and get so wasted we can't remember anything. That sounds like a fantastic idea, right? I mean, no, of course not. And yet that's the kind of stuff that people today are like, oh, that sounds attractive. I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's not just those guys. I mean, if you just listen to music, music and, and, and a lot of media advertises sex without consequences, relationships without commitments, freedoms without consequences. I mean, all sorts of things like that. It's advertising folly. It's foolishness. She's giving her foolish goals out there, but she only highlights the pleasures. She never tells you, oh, by the way, the people that have done what you've done have died. Just FYI, I guess I should tell you that. No, she gives you all the bennies and hides all the details behind that. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Man, we could say a lot more about what folly looks like in person, but tomorrow, tomorrow night, I'm going to have you spend some time working through this and thinking through this sermon and saying, okay, where does folly rest in my life? Am I living according to a wise standard, according to what Christ has said, or am I doing my own thing? Am I deluding myself? Is there any way in which I am self-deceptive? Is there any part of my life where I am letting folly distract me or draw me into her web of destruction? You're going to spend some time on this tomorrow night. Thanks so much, guys, for being here. I'm so thankful that you guys have taken time to be here and to be together. It feels great for us to do this. But let me encourage you, as we begin to land the summer airplane, do not grow weary in doing good. Continue to stay the course. Be faithful, be diligent. This weird season that we're all in together, we're going to navigate this together. Can't promise it's always going to be good. It might rain on us at some point in time, but by God's grace, we're going to give it the very best we got. So let me pray for you, and let me pray as we depart here today that you guys walk away, but don't forget this. Think with wise eyes and ears. Surrender your life to the Lord. Live in the fear of God. Let's pray. 